Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 240 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here on a Monday with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. What? <laughs> like, this has never happened I know, before. We, <laughs> we really don't change up our schedule very often. We are known to pop in unexpectedly with, with extra stuff, but a Tuesday is a Tuesday. It's is a never Tuesday. happened on a Monday, though. <laughs> I don't think we've ever done anything unexpected on a Monday. It's just not how we're wired. Mondays no. are for Mondays are for coasting. That's true. Mondays are for prepping Tuesday's episode. Exactly. So if you are a longtime listener, you know that Tuesday is our day. But this year, Tuesday is uh, Christmas Eve. That's tomorrow. And we don't ever really like to skip a holiday week. But we thought that if we showed up a day early, it gives those of you who are still wrapping and packing and traveling or cleaning up from the last week of school, which is what we're in right now as we record this. Absolutely. Um, yeah. A little more flexibility for when to listen. And you have this for you all Christmas week, whenever you want to listen. So happy Monday. Yeah. Happy Monday. <laughs> what are we talking about today? We are doing one of our favorite things, right? Yep. We're taking questions from listeners. We do this every what, about quarterly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we and we back these up. So we do back to back episodes. Only this time we're going to throw us another surprise wrench in the works. Yes. And we're going to slide in another Monday episode next week. That is not a listener question episode. So it's going to go listener questions today. We're going to let you guys get through the holidays and then we'll come back with listener questions the following. So like two weeks from tomorrow. Correct. The first, Am I right about that? Mm -hmm. okay. The only thing that um, you are not right about is next week it will be back to a Tuesday. Next Tuesday oh. is uh, New Year's Eve. So we'll have a, a short episode on New Year's Eve, um, a little something special from us. And then, yeah, as you said, the first regular Tuesday episode of 2020 will be another listener questions episode. Well, that's what you get, Sarah, for letting me pretend like <laughs> I know any details around here. But yes, it's going to go Monday, details. Tuesday, Tuesday. You knew all the details. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have four listener questions to get to today and then four more coming up in a couple of weeks. So we had a lot of fun with these. If you are curious how to send in a question, just check the show notes. We have several ways. We especially love hearing your voices. So um, in 2020, that can be uh, a little a little goal of mine is to increase the number of voicemail questions we get. It's just so fun to hear your 
hear your voices. So we have a couple of those and we will get to the first one right after the break. Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion, and because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code themomhour 15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. We are welcoming back Olive and June as a sponsor. And Megan, I'm so excited about this partnership because with spring right around the corner, I love refreshing the little things in my life, including my manicure. I am the biggest fan of doing my nails at home instead of at a salon because it's convenient, so much cheaper at just $2 a mani, and the results can't be beat. It all begins with Olive and June. Yeah, Olive and June's mani system has everything you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. These are profesh tools designed just for DIY. A couple of the items included are their best-selling poppy, which makes it so easy to brush on a smooth coat, even with your non-dominant hand, which you do have to use about half the time, it turns out. <laughs> and their award-winning cuticle serum, which is so nourishing and a finishing touch I love. Well, I've been a big fan of their quick dry polish for a while now. It seriously dries in about a minute, making it perfect for busy moms. Visit oliveandjune.com slash themomhour for 20% off your first mani system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first mini system. Okay, so our first question came in from Missy over SpeakPipe, which is a great way to leave a voicemail for us. And Missy has little, little kids and kind of wants to know, when is this going to get more fun? So we'll play, <laughs> we'll play Missy's message for you right now. Hey, Megan and Sarah, this is Missy from Minnesota. Um, I just finished listening to your episode on Megan going all out for the holidays this year with her uh, exterior illumination project and how she actually can recruit help from her kids this year, where things in the past that used to be more stressful really aren't so overwhelming uh, anymore, and they're even kind of fun. So I mean this in the nicest way possible, but I have a three-year-old boy, a one-and-a-half-year-old boy. And I'm recently pregnant with another baby on the way due next summer. And I am wondering when things start to become more fun again. I'm definitely in the thick of the stage where things are just more overwhelming um, and sort of a hassle than they are fun. Um, But I still love the idea of incorporating all of the holiday joy and the magic and even other things just around the entire year that are just more work than they are fun. So I'm just looking for that time I can look forward to when things start to become a little bit less 
of a hassle and they start to become a little bit more enjoyable. So thanks so much. I love everything you guys do. Keep doing what you're doing. Bye. Gosh, Missy, this is a really good question. When <laughs> does it when does it get more fun? And I had to do the mental math um, and check it with Sarah, because as we know, I am not great with the details sometimes. Um, but it sounds like you are about to have a newborn, a two year old and a four year old. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that you really are in the thick of things. Let's just first acknowledge that I love that Missy knows that it isn't very fun right now and that <laughs> the hassle factor outweighs the fun factor. And she pulled this from whenever we talked about that most recently. But when we talked about it, it was in your going all in on the holidays, Megan. Oh, and right. Yes. It was about how long it takes you to unlearn that this visceral sense that like, oh, my gosh, I cannot go to a tree lighting. It's going to be a nightmare. And then your right. kids are all of a sudden older and you're like, oh, wait, no. That used to be a nightmare. It is no longer. So Missy's asking when, like, when does that transition happen from being more hassle to more fun? Um, not just at the holidays, but all the time. And the funny thing is I was thinking about this. I think the answer should be that it's gradual, of course, like everything. It's not like you flip a switch, but I actually do have a very specific memory of one summer when my youngest was two and a half. So then my oldest would have been newly five and newly seven. Um, and we traveled a lot that summer and I just remember feeling like, oh my gosh, this is easier. And so a few things clicked into place that don't, it's not two and a half isn't the magic age, but for me, um, my third child did not sleep through the night till she was two and a half. That's a conversation mm -hmm. for another time. So, uh, we were finally all sleeping. Um, she potty trained herself at two and a half rather easily. Uh, she didn't drop naps altogether, but uh, they became a lot more flexible and kind of optional if we were traveling. And all those things seemed to happen at once. And so when you remove diapers, naps, and bad sleep, if you've been in the land of diapers, naps, and bad sleep for years and years and years, things just naturally get a whole lot more fun. Now, the other side of this is, of course, it's not like it was all miserable until that moment and right. all fun after that moment. But I do look back at that summer as feeling like it felt like I know we had another listener question ask one time, when will it feel like I have a pack of three kids instead of two kids and a baby? And this is I think I probably answered it much the same way, which is that when that baby was two and a half, three, it all of a sudden felt like I had a pack of kids and it was a really fun cool, rewarding feeling after the hard part. Now you have five kids, Megan. So you never like, it, it was never well, probably one moment for you. It wasn't one moment. I do agree that it's gradual, but it doesn't seem gradual at the time. And then suddenly it seems like, wow, um, something really shifted. But I'll also say you can't underestimate the personality of the third kid in uh -huh. dictating how this goes. So even, so it just so happens that my second and fourth were hard and my third and fifth were easy. Mm -hmm. And so when I had two, by this point, slightly older children and a baby. So they, my spacing was a little bit different. Mine yeah. would have been like, say, William was a newborn and then a four and a six year old. So that's right. a pretty big, you know, yeah. different spacing there. But that was fun because he was a really chill baby. So mm -hmm. I had like two relatively big kids and then this fun baby that everyone likes to goo goo gaga at. Right. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with Clara. It was like a five-year-old, a three-year-old who were kind of coming into their own and getting more easy and more just, just Portable. knowing how to be, you know, yeah. like just knowing how to be. And then this kind of easy baby. So that can happen. That could be you. Yes. Um, it's just really hard to say. And if you have a, if your third edition baby is um, ultraviolet, ultraviolet. <laughs> yes. You, you may find that it, 
it just takes a little bit longer. Yeah. And your, <laughs> hers are really closely spaced, even more right. closely spaced, I believe, than than mine. Um, and so, that she, you know, Missy knows that will be a challenge. I think another part of the question that I heard was, are there ways to capture those little bits of fun when you are in the trenches without, you know, overextending yourself or doing something like trying to take everyone to Disneyland at night for right. the fireworks where you just know it's going to be meltdown city. And I think, you know, we were very judicious. I was very miserly about spending money on anything I thought was not going to be fun for me. And because of that, we didn't do we didn't do theme parks. We didn't do a lot of things because I have a low tolerance for stress and chaos. And so I feel like we did opt out of a lot, but we didn't opt out of everything. We were big into daytime activities as opposed to being out at night because it wasn't fun for me to be out past bedtime with a bunch of little kids. So we found our way. We did a lot of getting together with families of similar aged kids where they had the same kind of priorities, where it was going to be short, it was going to be easy, but we could still have fun. Um, I know we're releasing this in the last part of the year, but I remember we would do a New Year's party that ended at eight o'clock or something like that. So I do feel like we found our fun and it was generally close to home, affordable and during the day. And we just kind of had to like make it fun ourselves rather than trying to force ourselves into these like air quotes, fun activities for families. Um, I think a lot of times you get excited to participate in in those things until you realize they're really for older kids. And there's time when you have a four, six and eight year old those are the golden years. Like all three kids will enjoy the same things and you'll be, you know, diaper free, nap free. So you'll get there. And I think it's okay if you kind of make smaller fun in the meantime. And I think that's why for so long we really had the house that everyone came to, because Mm -hmm. even though you would think that as an extroverted person who likes doing stuff that I was constantly doing like those kinds of things with my kids, Mm -hmm. I was not, Mm -hmm. I was really I just knew I couldn't like I would look at that situation and go, there's nothing about this. Like you said, Sarah, this seems fun (laughs) about taking five little kids to um, a Christmas parade. Not to say I never did that stuff, but like I really kept it very sparing. But it would be much more likely that I would invite other families to our house to watch a movie Mm -hmm. or something like that. And that was one way for me to kind of enjoy it from my sofa. Yeah, (laughs) I like I just felt like it was more enjoyable to at least be in a comfortable space where if my kid flipped out, at least I was close to a bed or like their bed, you know, it was just, it just was more controllable. So that's kind of how I handled it. And there is time, like you said, for getting back out there. Yeah. And I think the, just to put a bow on it, I think one thing that (laughs) increases the fun factor is that the kids themselves appreciate fun more as they get older. I think Mm -hmm. when we have tiny kids, we are trying to be like the fun, like, like the, like the MC of fun. Like this is fun guys. Look at the lights, look at the characters. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about older kids is they, you don't have to do that. They, right. they have interests and they want to talk about them and they have things they want to go do and go see. And you'll find yourselves having fun at things you didn't even like know were a thing like right. a Pokemon convention or a, but they start to have their own interests and it's less on you to provide and manufacture those fun experiences. So, and on the flip side of that, when they're that little, there's no need for that. There's no need for those experiences for them to have fun because they're having fun, just like staring at the wall. Like, (laughs) you know, like they're really, they're really able to create fun out of their environment when they're small and there really is no need to necessarily go out looking for it. Which is a vote for do what is fun for you as a mom and the kids will be all right. 
Okay, I am going to set up our next question, and I'll read a little bit of uh, Debbie's email. So it comes from Debbie. She says, hi, Megan and Sarah. I love your podcast. I started listening in December of last year, and it has changed my life in a good way. So first of all, thank thank you, you. Debbie. So her question is about electronics during playdates. She says, I have two sons, ages 8 and 10, and the issue is this. My older son has friends who have no limit on screen time. And a lot of his friendships are video game based. I see my younger son heading in a similar direction. So far, I've kept him off electronics completely and my older son to an hour during playdates. But at their friend's house, they can play unlimited. I want friends to want to come here and I want them to learn to interact with each other in ways other than electronics. But I'm concerned they'll not want to hang out here with my limit. Also concerned they won't learn how to interact without the screens. How do you both handle this, Megan, especially you as the kids get older? Well, one thing to keep in mind is that these kids can play together all the time, like even if they're not together in person. So I have not found there to be a huge correlation between my kids wanting to get together in person and my kids wanting to get together in person with their friends specifically only to play games. If, does that make any sense? Like mm-hmm. when they were littler um, and the games were different, it was actually more of a thing because that was before everyone was online. So the kids would get together and want to play like my oldest would want to get together with their buddies and play Xbox because they had no way to do that. Right. When they weren't, you know, all separated out. Um, so I think there's actually an opportunity to make it less of a thing than maybe it feels like, which may seem a little counterintuitive. Um, but I, you know, here's the thing. They're going to want to do it. They're, they're definitely going to want to play the games. There are ways to... I think kind of draw a middle ground. Like if you're having say a play date on the weekend or a sleepover, I have um, relaxed rules around electronic use. I've kind of, I'm not going to say turned a blind eye to it, but, but I've allowed more gaming to happen than I might have if it was just my kid at home and they had chores to do Mm -hmm. and other things. But then I also have always kind of set up the date, the play dates to have other things, um, other activities like, a board game. Maybe they're going to play Dungeons and Dragons or Catan or something like that. I just think that like the parent sometimes just has to suggest it. Yeah. Um, and be the one to supply, like supply it as an alternative rather than just expecting the kids to figure it out because this is how they interact with each other. And so it's like, they're so habituated to doing it that way that you may have to actually like plant the idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing I've done is like given them 10 bucks and told them to get out of my house and go <laughs> spend it. Your kids are a little young for that, but as they get older, I mean, that is kind of an option if you live in a town that's safe to navigate like hey go out go outside and go get yourselves into trouble yeah for lack of a better word the old-fashioned way (laughs) the old-fashioned way yes um I just I wouldn't worry too much they won't want to hang out there because all of my kids have different rules around um video game use I mean all my kids friends have different rules and it has not been a deterrent for my kids to go to anyone's houses because they do or do not have certain games, play certain games. It's never been like, that's never been the thing. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's never come up. Now, I think for my kids, because they have fairly relaxed rules at home, they don't see their friends' houses as a way to get in video game time they don't have at home. Mm -hmm. And I personally like that Mm -hmm. because like, I feel like it takes kind of the pressure off the other mom and the other family and like, if like they can go there and do whatever and be happy, yeah. they can go there and, and have time. Now, I have also noticed that there are kids who come to my house and they want to have like a video game free for all and can't get off the video games in my house because they 
aren't able to use them at home. Mm -hmm. So that's not like any kind of judgment on that parent. But I also don't want to then have to be the heavy Mm -hmm. that then tells that kid they can't play video games at my house, even though my rule is like I probably wouldn't make them stop. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like it's a very complicated thing. And I also feel like it's one of those things that's really hard to talk to other parents about. Agreed. Because there's a lot of implication of judgment. And even when it's been kids um, who spend a lot of time who have spent a lot of time with my boys uh, and who I'm in good terms with the parents with and think that we get along, like that we'd be on the same mindset. Like it just, when I've tried to kind of say, Hey, let's get on the same page about it. doesn't work. Like it's never worked. It's always kind of ended up feeling like the other parent feels judged, even though what I meant was I'm struggling to help me. Like Mm -hmm. let's help each other, help, help each other. And in the end, my kids spend the majority of their time at my house. So Mm -hmm. I'm not that concerned about what they do when they're at other people's houses. Like to me, if I would have said, eh, like guys, let's play for an hour and then do something else. But they go to someone else's house and play for three hours. Like that's not a hill I'm going to die on. So I don't know if this is like, I know when my oldest were the ages of your boys, um, Debbie, I probably was a little more worried about it than I am now that I've got a 14 and a 16 and a 20 and a 22. It just... I think it's something I gave so much mental energy to and in the end mattered a lot less than I thought it would. Well, so that is like the bow I'm putting on that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's really helpful. If I'm listening as Debbie, first of all, I'm very reassured that it doesn't seem like the preference of where kids spend time is like a, a super correlation with how much video game is allowed at that house. And it made me think back to when I was a kid. And don't you remember that like each house had its had its thing that you were excited to do. Like some houses have the great snacks. Some have the super nice mom who's like just really fun to be around. That's you, right? You're the super fun mom. Oh my gosh, I'm Um, so so fun. No, but I do remember, (laughs) I remember liking my friends' houses. Sometimes I liked my friends' houses because there wasn't a mom around and it was less supervised. And sometimes I liked, you know, the books. I remember going to my friends' houses and reading the books on their shelves because I was a reader, you know? So I I think it's reassuring to hear um, that, kids won't not want to come to your house because there's a different set of rules. In fact, my kids are younger and I only have one boy who likes to game. So I have a lot less experience here. Um, but in my experience, the boys, and I do have a nine-year-old. So my, my son is the right in the middle of the age of Debbie's. And in my experience, the boys that age are very used to house rules around video games. They don't all have the same house rules, but everybody knows that for every house where there's a video game console, there's a mom lurking in the background. Who's going to tell you to turn it off. And whether that happens after one hour or three hours, or maybe never, or maybe you don't turn it on at all. They kind of um, I've I've definitely shut down or said, hey, guys, let's just have this be a quick part of the play date and then go do something else. And I've never been met with like the other kids looking at me like I'm from outer space, even though no, I never I know I'm more conservative than the other moms, but their moms are still t- at some point telling them to shut it off. So they they're all very- used to having it <laughs> they, shut off at some yeah, point. And, and they have been fine about it. I will bring up one um, specific anecdote because my son, Reed, is um really his behavior is affected by a lot of gaming and he's still young. So I have been really conservative about it at home. And there was a situation where it was a new friend and I knew Reed kind of wanted to go there. Like you said, Megan, he wanted to go there because he wanted to like watch YouTube uninterrupted for five hours. And I was a little worried that that would affect his friendship because it's a kid he really loves to play with. But I, I was a little concerned that if the play dates got started with that as the expectation of what they do, 
at that house that Reed wouldn't be wanting to go there for the right reasons. And I did say something to the mom and I, you know what I did is I, I blamed it on myself and my own kid. And I tried to remove any judgment, but I was like, Hey, we're having some behavior challenges at home related to, you know, the tablet use. And I'm hoping this first play date could just be screen free just to remove that as a, and she was super nice about it. And I just made it, I made it about like, not anything about judging what goes on in her house. And she might've still felt a little bit judged, but she has a very different house structure than mine. And I, and so I think it actually turned out okay. And the boys didn't do screens that day. And now they do sometimes, but it, it set the precedent that we're not going to, this is not why we want to go to this friend's house. It's Mm -hmm. you want to go there because you like your friend, not because the screen rules are different and it it worked. So I did bring it up. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, who knows? Like there's probably been times I, d- I brought it up and it was fine in the end. I think I think for me, it became me trying to control things that were outside of my control. Yeah. Um, and I had two boys who were doing a lot of play dates at that time and then other boys who were coming up like play date aged. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, OK, <laughs> like I can control what happens in my house. And of course, I can control to some like I'm not letting them go over there and like watch X rated movies or right. something either. But like, as long as there wasn't aftermath, because, you know, like if your kids do sleepovers and I know that's like a whole nother thing. Yeah. Um, my kids have done sleepovers on and off throughout their lives. It like hasn't always been a thing. It's been more actually um, cousin uh-huh. sleepovers. But there have been like a handful of friends that over the years they've all had sleepovers with. And there are some kids, my kids would come home and just be rotten after yeah. a sleepover. And I started to figure out like I could figure out what was going on. Well, they probably stayed up way too late. Um, they probably then had like, like probably had a bunch of junky food. Like who knows what it was? Yeah. Maybe it's the personalities. I don't know what it was, but this isn't cool. So they're just not going to spend the night there anymore. And so I like, I let it usually play out as it would. And then, and then would like retroactively, um, change the circumstances yeah. if it didn't go well. Yeah. So that's just like another way to do no, it. And, and, and that actually reminded me of something Debbie said that, I love that she, first of all, it sounds like she's open to experimenting with this because she knows it's not, it's not a set it and forget it. And she's also trying something different with her 10 year old than she is with her eight year old, which I really applaud her for that because mm-hmm. first of all, I don't have two boys. It's a little different, but I do know what it's like to want to retrofit the same rule for two kids who are closely spaced, but it's not always the right thing. So right. I love that she's saying, you know, the 10 year old does get some more flexibility. He has more friendships. He's gaming online. The eight-year-old's not ready for that, and we're limiting it. And um, I just want to acknowledge that that's not easy to do, but it's often um, really helpful for the kids. And I'm guilty sometimes of being like, well, let's just apply the same rule to everyone because it's easier well, I think me. all parents are, yeah. <laughs> are yeah. guilty of that sometimes. Yeah. But yes, so, I appreciate that. Well, that too. was a really, a really good question. And I know I'm just heading into a lot of this. I've, I've delayed it as long as possible. So I appreciate the advice, too. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya, is back on the show today, and I just really love this company. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. They're filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk most parents don't really want their growing kids eating. That's why Haya, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin, was created. That's right, Megan. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern kids' diets to provide the full-body nourishment they need. And Haya vitamins have a yummy taste kids love, too. So we were just talking to Katie on our team, Megan, and she was saying that when they get down toward the bottom of the high vitamin bottle, her boys are fighting over who gets the last one. Oh, I love it. And I also love that Katie can feel good about that, right? 
Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door. So parents never need to worry about running out. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, we're back with a question from Victoria. It says, hey, Sarah and Megan, I'm curious to know if you two have ever talked about dealing with disappointment as a mom and your expectations don't match with how things go down. I'm a new mom, and while I didn't have anything particularly big planned for my girls' first Halloween, I found myself disappointed that night when I put them to bed that it wasn't more of a big day. Uh, While I know this particular holiday will get more exciting as they get older, it got me thinking about how to approach things like this with a more realistic approach as we carry along. So, Sarah, I'm thinking this is probably something you're more likely to have dealt with over the years. I definitely think that expectations equaling reality equals happiness. Yes. (laughs) And when there's like the not equal sign between expectations and reality, that equals disappointment or feeling like you fell down in the job. Um, I have not had that particular feeling around things like celebrating a holiday with babies, but have you? Um, You know, I think in the very, very early days, maybe, but I think today's new moms are subjected to a lot more expectations, mind bending uh, via the Instagram. So it's not even about not making the day big for her girls, but not making something big to record. For posterity, of. or yeah. it's almost like the expectations get skewed by what we're told to expect. And the other thing about yeah. holidays is like they're also a normal day where you have to put your kid down for a nap mm-hmm. and you have to feed them and you have to sweep the floor. And I think I do think um, that that takes an adjustment in new motherhood. I I think the um, uh, the expectations right sizing happened fairly quickly for me, which goes back to the very first question we answered about fun and how I just dialed all the expectations of fun way back for a few years. But I do think that this is pretty common in, um, in early motherhood, but what about disappointment as a mom in general? Cause I think this is something you've talked about, Megan, about just, just managing feelings of things not going the way you want it, or even your, your motherhood life, not looking the way you thought it would. I mean, those oh, are for real sure. feelings. And sometimes I think what's really going on, like disappointment for me, it would have been more that I was not because I thought, Oh my gosh, my, my kid, my baby is going to look back on this Halloween and think it stunk because the baby's not going to remember that Halloween for me, it would have been more like I was disappointed with myself for not being able to pull it all off mm-hmm. or for not planning ahead. Like, um, one of the things that I think has been mind, uh, not mind blowing, but really life changing for me as a mom was when I decided to lean in on not doing mm-hmm. things. And, and we've talked about this a million times, but deciding not to do mm-hmm. is very different than feeling like you wanted to, and you didn't get around yeah. to it. Um, if you can make something, the story of who you are as a mom or 
the decision you made because it fits your values or whatever it is. Like something about taking that active role, I think has helped me not feel disappointed when things, when I'm not the mom, maybe like in my fantasy, Mm -hmm. I thought I would be because Mm -hmm. I've made a choice not to do that thing. Yeah. Uh, So I don't know. Like, does that, does that what you're talking about? I know for sure when I was like a new, new mom, I was often disappointed that my life didn't look like something out of what would then would have been, you know, Martha Stewart Living Magazine. Uh-huh. Yeah. But we got I got over that pretty quick. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I am thinking, too. I think with any feeling of disappointment or any feeling that is uncomfortable like that, it's really, really healthy. First of all, that you just acknowledge that you felt disappointed. Sometimes we skip that part and we're just you know, mean to our husband or grumpy for a day. And we don't even really think like, what was I disappointed about? What, what was that about? What did I expect that Halloween to look like? And is it, is it an expectations adjustment or is there something actually different that we could do next year? I mean, so much of motherhood is just the school of hard knocks and learning, you know, applying what you learned last year to this year. And I, at this point in my motherhood, I get kind of a kick out of that. I'm like, Oh, you know what I'm going to make better this year. And you know, it becomes a layering process, but I think that doesn't happen until you dig into the feelings a little bit and just say, you know, either to yourself, your journal or someone you trust, like that did not feel good. I've definitely had birthdays of my own that have felt disappointing where I thought, Oh, I don't want to do anything for my birthday. And then I get to that day and it's like a super normal day. And I'm like, well, that also didn't feel fun. So um, I think just keep staying curious and keeping the inner dialogue going and trying to figure out what exactly about that felt disappointing. And you can tweak and you will tweak. Mm -hmm. The other thing I just thought of, I was thinking back to when um, Jacob was like two and and, uh, Isaac was a new baby. And so much of my life as a mom then, like my success as a mom seemed centered around doing stuff. whether doing stuff with the kids, doing stuff for the kids, but there was like a lot of doing going mm-hmm. on. And, and even this was like way before Instagram, but I think a lot of what I was consuming at that time, like the media I was consuming all had to do with crafts and activities and like enrichment and learning. Like, so it was, I was so parenting focused. I was mm-hmm. in this bubble where all I was thinking about was how to take these little people and turn them into like better little people or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I remember having a few nights where I would be putting them to bed and just think like, oh man, I blew this day. Like, what did I even do? Like, did mm-hmm. I do anything? Did anything get accomplished? Um, did I, do, did I plant anything in their brains? Did I enrich them? Yeah. And I think what helped me then, and now what helps me all the time, I do this, I think just as a reflexive, a reflexive practice is look back and think what you did do that day. Mm-hmm. It's usually more than you think mm-hmm. it's maybe it wasn't anything mind blowing, But when you really go back and tally like all the things that happened during a day or a week or a season, it's almost always to me a pleasant surprise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that a lot. Um, Well, Victoria, hopefully you are enjoying the holidays and uh, adjusting those expectations. um, And I do think it does get better, get easier. Okay, I'm going to take us to our final question today and I'm going to read it here. This comes from April, and she also has a very nice compliment for us, so I'm going to read that as well. She says, I love listening to you during my one-plus-hour commute each way in Portland. I compare all other podcasts to yours on if it's well-hosted, the right speed, women that help me grow, et cetera, and many, many don't make the cut. Okay, when she says the right speed, do you think she means— I was just thinking—I think that means we maybe um, talk—I don't know. I I don't know if she means— Literal um, verbal pacing, like the, 
you know, the speed that we speak at or something a little bit more metaphorical. I don't know, but we are the right speed. It might mean like how we bounce from like one thing to the next. Right. The pacing. We both talk too fast. I know that for sure. (laughs) And if you are out there listening to us on 1.25 or 1.5 speed, we know you're out there. We think you're crazy because we talk fast enough as it is. Um, Okay. Continuing on with April's actual question. She said your recent podcast on making adult conversations Sarah mentioned she had found media sources that kept her informed of the world we live in. I haven't tried very hard, but the little I have to find apps or websites that supposedly filter the content I'm interested in just don't fit what I'm looking for. I still find myself very anxious when hit with the news media around me, causing me to retreat into my small bubble and to be intentionally uninformed. I was wondering if you could share what media sources, apps, websites, blogs you've found to stay informed of the world around us, but in a less anxiety creating way. So this question came for me and we did talk about that in the episode about making adult conversation. I feel like we've touched on it a handful of other times as well. Um, It's a real thing. It is. Well, and can I can I say one thing before you? Because I know you have some real actual sources that you use um, and I'm a little more haphazard or scattershot. But one thing I have found is I mean, this is so obvious, but like Facebook is like the anti yeah. like whatever you do if you just remove that mm-hmm. um or way cut down it helps because then i think you're just getting kind of a skewed version of what the facts are anyway so it's not like it's not like i, I guess my only point is if you feel like you don't have time to delve into more meaty sources and you think well i'll just get on social media and that will kind of do the job for me i think you're actually doing worse yes well <laughs> i'm going to take that a step further because my first tip and this is for me, this is what works for me, is actually not to consume any screen-based news media. So what I mean by that is I choose audio or um, a physical newspaper sometimes, but mostly I choose audio. And here's why it feels less anxiety-producing for me. When I'm on a screen, even if I go to the newyorktimes.com or cnn.com or one of the apps, and even if it's a news media source that I trust, um, when you are clicking and scrolling, you are, you know, uh, all of these have other links in there, other things that pop up yes. that will lead you. So it's very easy. They would like you to stay there, right? They'd like mm-hmm. you to stay in the consumption mode as long as possible. And so even what you may consider to be high quality um, sources, their websites are designed to keep you there as long as possible. And the keeping you there as long as possible is not meant to be um, a Zen experience. It is, it is meant (laughs) to be compelling, um, and sensationalized. And so I think almost anything I consume on a screen, especially if it's the phone in my hand, I might, maybe I'd read a longer form article on my computer or something, but, um, so I, so for that reason, I am almost all audio. And so the specific resources that I have is I listen to NPR's Up First as a daily news podcast. And what I find is if my head is not in the right headspace, I actually just zone out. It's almost Mm. like my brain can protect me from um, like too much by just, I just kind of find myself stop like not listening. Now that's not a great way to stay super informed, but I do think it prevents that like Oh my gosh, I got to hear the next one. Um, another resource I've been leaning on lately is the NPR One app, which is different from a podcast. Um, the podcasts show up in your feed, obviously. You all know how to listen to a podcast. The NPR One app serves up short bits of audio in a, like a curated way, almost like Pandora would serve you up songs. And so when you open up the app, it says, would you like to start with the latest? And I always click yes. 
and it'll play the top of the hour newscast, which again is audio and it's only like five to eight minutes. And then it will start cycling through um, bits of audio that it thinks I will like. And it's a really great mix. Sometimes it's human interest. Sometimes it's international news. Sometimes it's a little fun and fluffy. And then you can, just like Pandora or anything else, you can thumbs up or swipe and it will start to learn what you like. And I really like having that on because it isn't just the breaking news. It's often Mm. something, um, and they'll also pull from your local NPR station. So like for me, it'll be some deep dive into something that's happening in Los Angeles at the city level. And I'm like, Ooh, that's really interesting. I never would have known that. So that's been a really good one for me lately. Um, another thing I know people swear by, so Sarah Stewart Holland is our friend who hosts pantsuit politics. And that's a political show that has one host from the left and one from the right. And their whole thing is nuance, um, and listening and being kind of a safe space. So I will definitely link them up, but I know Sarah from that show is a regular reader of daily news emails. And that is a way, Mm. if it's coming to your email, again, you're not having the click around problem. Um, And I know there's a lot of the skim and there's several daily news roundups where it can be short, quick, and you can be informed without spiraling. So I don't do that, but I think that's a great strategy. Um, And then the last one was I still get the um, Sunday paper. And I do really like settling in with a long form actual newspaper article in my hands once a week or so. Um, and I find that if it's a more complex topic that I want to be better educated about, there's something about holding that in my hand that keeps my focus longer than being on a screen or even listening. So that might be something international, or it might be something that, um, like local here to the state of California. Um, and I find myself drawn to the physical newspaper. So that's my, that's where I am. Now, I have a question for you. Have you ever used a reader inside of like a tablet? So like I know that Kindles, you can read the paper on a Kindle. I think I've never done right. it. Um, I, what I have is I've used Instapaper. Or iPad. Instapaper. Okay. And Instapaper um, is great because it saves. So anytime throughout the week that you come across an article you want to read that you have either on your phone or your computer anywhere, you click the little Instapaper applet that you've installed and it'll save it. And then when you open up Instapaper, it looks like there's no ads. There's no, it's, it's all scaled down. It looks really nice and pretty like a Kindle or something. And you can read the articles you've saved that week. So you're curating your own magazine kind of newspaper. Um, I, I sometimes get out of the habit of using Instapaper and I don't know why. I think it's because I like the idea of saving the articles mm. and then I don't have it built into my routine to read them. For a while, I was reading our podcast industry news that way because, you know, we get a couple of really interesting email newsletters. And then we both find that we don't read them because they come to our inbox where we're dealing with 25 million other things. So I was trying to find a way to set that aside for longer reading. And I can't say I was totally successful, but I do like Instapaper and I'll link that one up too. Okay. That's good. And I, cause I wondered if that would then take out the, the linking and things yes. in your face issue. <laughs> um, I do get the New York times. Um, they get like send out a briefing Now I think this is new. Um, I don't remember always getting this like automatic sort of sum up in my email and suddenly I'm getting it or maybe now it's just catching my eye for whatever reason. There are still links. So you do have to be kind of careful Uh (laughs) because it's easy to, but because it's in your email, I don't feel like it's just a different experience. I don't really want to click the links because I don't want to go out of my inbox. Right. So um, it gives me just, just enough news that when I want to read that, I like it. And Mm -hmm. I guess my only other question for you about having a Sunday paper, and this is something I've struggled with, um, 
because there's just so much in it. Mm-hmm. And I would feel really guilty about recycling, like reading one article and recycling the rest. I guess I, you know, that's so like, it's going to be printed here's anyway. How I, here's how I've justified that because I, <laughs> okay. you know, I have, I have waste guilt. I really don't like throwing mm-hmm. things away that I don't use, but I, first of all, it pays for my online subscription to the LA times and it, it comes. So it's sort of like, I'm paying for one Sunday paper that includes my full week's subscription to the digital version. And like you said, it's going to be printed anyway. I do try to keep a paper for a week and I keep it out on the coffee table and the kids will read the comics or will use it to cover the table for a craft or something like that. Um, One thing I do, and this doesn't help with waste, it just helps with the aesthetic of waste, is I always pull it out of the bag and I go through and I remove all the ads and stuff I don't want. And I put the sections in alphabetical order and it looks really nice on the table. And even if we don't consume a whole lot of it, I have just, this is a complete justification. I've just justified that I do consume a lot and I appreciate the LA Times reporting and I consume a lot of it digitally. So the physical paper just feels like one part of that package that I'm paying for and I'm supporting journalism. That's kind of like, yeah, but, but yeah, it's, it's paper that I don't always read. So you got a point there. Well, and if you live in a place where like I'm in a place where I'm near I'm nearish to like two or three mid-sized cities and then one big city is a little further away. And then, you know, I for a while was getting the New York Times Sunday paper. That was way too much. Yeah. Like I, I, there was so much in it, <laughs> and it would make it really difficult to go through. So I've thought about going and saying, well, what's the near like what's the nearest metropolitan area? where I could get good news and maybe access. I really love reading the arts and culture yep, section, um, but I can actually act on it. Like, because I'm not going to fly to New York to go see like, right. you know, every show they write up. It's fun to look at and like fantasize about, but it's really not relevant to my life in that way. Um, but your... if I did something closer, it would be, and it would be, and it would be thinner. <laughs> yes, sure. it would be thinner. So um, one thing we have, and I don't know, I don't, Probably the Tribune wouldn't do this for you, but maybe some of the other Michigan cities would. So in our L.A. times and L.A. is about an hour and a half from me. So it's not it's not my immediate area, but I could go there to see a play or whatever. Um, But in the L.A. times, there's the O.C. section and it's like it has its own staff and it's the Mm. like one of the last sections. And then it's metro like local to Orange County instead of L.A. So I wonder if any of your papers would have a more like a section that's even more immediate than what that city is. Unfortunately, no. (laughs) The problem is that, and that actually might not be solved by going smaller because so many of the smaller papers, and this is like a totally like side conversation, but have been bought up by these big conglomerates. And now it's all associated press news anyway. So they truly do not like in an area like mine where it's so uh, specific and remote and like small, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't make any financial sense. Like they barely cover their own neighborhoods mm-hmm. in these papers. Now, Chicago Tribune actually might like they might have a Michigan section. It would yeah. be more likely that Chicago Tribune would have or the Sun um, Sun Times or something would have something Michigan that yeah. had to do with my area than a paper from Grand Rapids or something. from Grand Rapids. Yeah. It might there might be a story that mentions my town, but there wouldn't be like a section. Yeah with staff. It's just like the media here is really weird. It's right. very um, like everyone. It, it's very, what's the word I'm looking for? Like territorial, uh-huh. like everyone's kind of in their own little territories. So, but I mean, I wish they did. That would be great. But even something like South Bend, that's 45 minutes away. That is relevant yeah. to me. Like yeah. I would go there yeah. to see something or like I, that news is kind of our news mm-hmm. in a weird way. So yeah. So that's a good idea. I should do that. Well, um, I feel like we got a little bit off track with April's 
question, but hopefully, uh, I, I almost feel like there's two different pieces of this. One is removing the anxiety, which is, I think what I spoke to, like, those are the ways that I buffer myself from falling down news rabbit holes that don't feel good to me. Um, and I think the other part of our question is actually staying informed on world events. And I don't think I'm perfect at that. Like, I think I could always be better about staying informed, but I think the two are related. So until, until you create a media diet that feels healthy to you, I don't even think you'll want to learn more about the world around you. Does that make sense? So it's almost about like keeping, keeping that other stuff at bay so that you can actually feel engaged and enjoy the information that you're getting. And then you may find like, oh, I'm really interested in this. April mentioned, I didn't read this part, but she mentioned she's a full-time working mom in a um, position where she does need to know about global economics and things like that and was feeling like work pressure to be more informed. So I think it's like one thing before the other, making sure that you aren't feeling anxiety produced by the news you consumed. And then maybe maybe it's a book. Maybe it's a long-form article. Yes. Maybe it's a podcast specific to one thing. I feel like I learned, I learned so much from different deep types deep dive podcasts. Um, but there, it almost feels like entertainment, not news. Cause I'm going right. down one specific rabbit hole. So, well, and, and we've, we've mentioned this before and I think it just bears repeating that a, we can't, it's impossible to know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can all go through, uh, phases where it feels more manageable to really focus on local news or to focus on something that's not exactly like news at all. Right. But some other kind of information. And if what April really needs is to keep in touch with or to keep kind of tabs on world economics, I mean, there's two there's two things happening here. Like there's the structure of the world and the economics that take place within it, which you could read a book that's 10 years old and they're still going to be relevant Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And then there's like the stuff that's happening every day that affect that. Right. The systems. And like those are two different things, but she can't probably know everything about all of it. Right. Yep. So, and, and it's that's not okay. worth taking it in if it's part of the machine that's producing anxiety, which is, I right. think, what she was kind of getting at. So, I say find the find the consumption like diet that works for you, and then figure out how to bring in those those specific areas that you want to learn more about. So, all right. Well, that was really fun. I don't know that we solved anything today, but we surely we surely did discuss it. We tried our best. <laughs> we tried our best. <laughs> Okay, everyone, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. And as a reminder, you can submit a question to us and we may feature it on the show. We especially love to hear your voice. So check the show notes and you'll find out more about how to send in a voicemail question. Yes, we love it. And we hope you guys will keep sending those in. Well, Merry Christmas this week to those who celebrate. Happy Hanukkah to those celebrating Hanukkah this week. Again, we will be back with you on Tuesday. That'll be New Year's Eve and we'll have an episode for you then. And yeah, have a wonderful week, everyone. We'll talk to you then. Hey, everyone, we have a favor to ask. If you are an Apple Podcasts user, can you check really quickly to make sure you're still following the mom hour? Apple did one of their big software updates recently, and it changed a bunch of things about how you get the podcasts you're subscribed to. If Apple Podcasts is your podcast app of choice, all you have to do is find your way to our show page and then click the little plus sign or follow in the top right corner. Thanks so much. Hi, everyone. Megan here. Sarah and I would absolutely love it if you would hit pause right now, like right where you're listening, and leave the Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, this is one of the biggest ways you can thank us, and it really only takes about 30 seconds. 
If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, you can navigate to the Mom Hours show listing. So when you're in the episode you're listening to right now, click where it says the Mom Hour just above the play button and then scroll all the way to the bottom and you will see the ratings and reviews. We would love if you would leave us one as well. Thank you so much for listening.